Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Let's give that unto the Lord this morning. You're in a room where anything is possible. Jesus said the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. God can answer your prayer. God can work in the supernatural and bring your request to pass. God can make a way where there was no way. And the one who does it is named J-E-S-U-S. Say that name. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You all are a blessing to me, to this area, to this region. I want to thank you for being who God has called you to be. Your life is not an accident or a coincidence. With God, there are no more random circumstances. Nothing just happens to you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If you forget everything else I said, recall this. You are ordered of God. Your life is orchestrated of God. Everything you do, every place you go, there are no accidents. You could witness to that person in the coffee shop, in the bus station, when you're pumping gas. There could be a conversation that was ordered of God on that day, a conversation of salvation. You are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, and your life has meaning and importance to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In my pocket, I have something here. These are the notes I wrote out last night right there. And God, this morning, changed everything. And so I wanted you to know that I took time and I wrote out scriptures and a title. It was going to be a good sermon, too. And God just blew those notes back to Michigan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We believe in following the Holy Ghost. This service, we shall follow the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Now, if you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse number 28. Special thank you to the First Lady for some extra special gifts she has given. They are already gone in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. She made some spice cake for the man of God. Bless God. I was thinking about that second piece all night. She made two pieces in that second piece. I had dreams in God about that during the evening. And <laughs> breakfast this morning was dessert. Hallelujah. 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 Also, I thank my friend and your pastor, Brother Bradley. Brother Norwalk is blessed to have you. I'm blessed to call you my friend. Hallelujah. Now, this passage in 2 Kings is dealing with a man named King Josiah. 2 Kings 23, verse 28. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Now, whenever you read a statement like that in the Kings, you're reading about their last few days on this earth. It's going to tell you how they passed on. And this is how King Josiah passed on into eternity. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And the king, or King Josiah, went against him. And he, the Pharaoh, 
slew King Josiah, slew him at Megiddo. Footnote, Megiddo, if I understand correctly, is the location of the Battle of Armageddon. All right? He slew King Josiah at Megiddo, an ending of things here, when he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. Now, in this passage, I read to you the passing of good King Josiah. And I have a title for this sermon, but I have to warn you, my title is very colorful. Just go with me here, all right? I'm going to call this message Stupid Battles. Stupid Battles. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you. Let us receive your word with gladness of heart. I want to be open and receptive to what you are giving to us this morning. Let us be vessels of honor for you and conduits of your presence. I thank you in advance of direction from heaven for this service. And we all say, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This revival has been a blessing to me, I just want to tell you today. Now, King Josiah, I read to you in my opening about his death. Before I preach too much about his death, I have to tell you about his life. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse number 1. Before Josiah, several hundred years before actually, there was a scenario transpiring in the kingdom of Israel. Now, the kingdom of Israel had 12 tribes, and the kingdom had a split. Ten tribes of Israel split away and formed their own separate kingdom in the north. It's often called the kingdom of Samaria, all right? And that northern kingdom of ten tribes had their own king, and his name was Jeroboam in 1 Kings 13 and 1. And Jeroboam did not keep to the ways of God. Jeroboam decided that he was on his own and could do whatever he wanted to do. And whenever someone makes that choice, it's not going to go like you assume because there is a purpose in the guardrails of God. There is a protecting hand upon each and every life here in this room. The hand of the Lord God upon you. There is a purpose why God has asked of you what he's asked of you. There is a calling upon you. You have a destiny and a future if I keep to God's pathway. And if I get off of the route of the Lord, there's just no telling how my life could go. Jeroboam got off of the route of the Lord. He began to build idols and worship false gods. And when he did that, God sent a prophet of the Lord to deal with this man. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Now, full stop. I told you ten tribes split away. Two tribes stayed faithful to God in the south, and those two tribes were Judah and Benjamin. So out of the remnant of the Lord in the south, out of the southern kingdom of Judah, the people who were still following God, God sent a man of God to speak to King Jeroboam. God will always have a remnant of people. There will always be those who serve the Lord, no matter what is transpiring in the culture around you. There will always be those who call upon the name of Jesus. There will be those who worship God in spirit and in truth. You are not the only ones. God has as an army, Elijah. There are 7,000 who have not bowed their knees on the bail. God has a people in this day and time. So out of Judah, out of the remnant that was still following God, God sent a man of God 
and he talked with Jeroboam. Jeroboam was standing by the false altar, the idolatrous altar he had built, an altar he had constructed to worship idols at. And this true man of God cries out, and says, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, the house they had split away from. Okay, And it tells the name of this child that would be born in the house of David. His name would be Josiah. It tells his name in this verse. Josiah's birth and reign was prophesied by God. His life was ordered and orchestrated. What was it that God told the prophet Jeremiah? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. And I don't think it just works like that for prophets either. There are aspects of your life that are absolutely ordained of God, just like Jeremiah and just like good King Josiah. Now when I read Josiah's description here, here was God's plan for him. Upon thee, the false altar here, he, Josiah, shall offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. The prophet, the man of God, prophesied that when King Josiah reigned, he would destroy the false altars to false gods and burn the bones of the false priests upon them. Now that's serious back in the Old Testament days. The people who were leading God's folks astray, they would lose their own lives upon what they had built. What they built out of God's will was how they died. How I live is how I also die in my life and if I live in God then I will also die in God and have a place prepared of God in heaven above one day that promise is real it is open to you and it is in store for all of his church as these men built something out of God's will, built a false altar, they would be burned upon the very false altars they had constructed. Okay, that was the prophecy of the Lord. Now when I read this passage, here is my mental picture of King Josiah. Mentally, I picture some big, bulking, hulking man like Hulk Hogan. Do you all know who Hulk Hogan is, by the way? I'm going wrestling on you all for a minute here. All right, in the house of God. I picture somebody like the Hulk or like, you know, some bodybuilding man who then picks up these false priests and slings them around in one hand and throws them down on the altar and lights it on fire with the other hand. Some superhero, you know, like some figure you'd read about in a comic book, perhaps. I picture him as having these superpowers, almost. This big, hulking, strong warrior doing all this and upturning these altars, lighting them on fire, offering men's bones. But oftentimes, the fulfillment of God's words isn't what we think it is. Now let me read to you the fulfillment of this prophecy in 2 Kings 22, in verse 1. 2 Kings 22 and 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Now, I had a picture of a warrior, like a bodybuilder or a superhero even. You know, somebody flying through the air, grabbing up these folks and throwing them down on the false altars and lighting the altars on fire. But what I read about instead is an eight-year-old boy. Do we have any eight-year-olds here in the house of God? You know, somebody like a small child 
was this young man, Josiah. An eight-year-old would be a third grader, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that wasn't what they were looking for, was it? They were looking for this war leader. They were looking for a King David. They were looking for somebody who was strong and would undo all the works of the devil. And instead, what they get is a boy. Because this is God's fulfillment of his words. God, we expect him to give us a fully formed miracle. And instead, what God gives us is a seed. A seed must be planted and watered and cared for and nurtured. Will you receive? the seed of God and will you plant that seed by faith in the soil of your life will you pour water on it will you nurture the ground that God has appointed for you will you have the faith to receive the seed and when it is time you will have your harvest you will have that produce of God to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens. You know, harvest time in farming is the shortest season. The longer season is the planting and the furrowing the ground and the watering and the caring for all those crops. Harvest is only a matter of a few days, and it could be months to grow and nurture those crops. But have the faith to keep living and keep watering in your season of in-betweens. Have the faith that your promise is still bound to you and still on its way, and it will come in due time. Your promise is growing and germinating in the soil of your life. Okay, only a boy in the kingdom of Judah. Now Judah and Benjamin kept to the ways of God. But there were still all kinds of problems and issues in the kingdom of Israel and Samaria surrounding them. There was still that leftover issue of idolatry and idol worship. So how would God deal with all of this through King Josiah? The Lord tells you in verse 2 that Josiah was a good king. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David his father. He turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. He did not take the exit ramp from the highway of the Lord. And now after many years, in verse 3, it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. Hang on. He was eight years old when he began his reign. So the 18th year would be 17 years later. He was 25 years old. There were 17 years of in-between. 17 years they waited for God's holy promise. I feel in the Holy Ghost there are individual people in this room that have had years of in-between. You have waited on your promise and you have not turned aside to the left hand nor to the right. You have kept consistency in the eyes of your maker. You have continued on in prayer and continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the apostolic ways. You have been faithful, Abraham. You have been faithful, dear Ruth. You have left your Moab behind and found the land of Bethlehem. And you are asking God for your dear promise of the Lord. Heaven's throne, will you hear me this morning? What will I do? What direction will I take? And so I feel like in the Holy Ghost, God changed the message for this purpose. For you. For you to know that God does have direction for your life. For you to know there's been a purpose in your season of waiting. To know there will be fulfillment. 
to hear from the Lord and to know God has direction and sure steps of mercy for you and for your household. God and God alone is in control today. Hallelujah. What does Josiah do in verse 3? He begins to repair the house of the Lord. He calls the scribes. He calls his men. In verse 4, he calls Hilkiah the high priest. And he tells them to gather up all the sum that they have laid up in store, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. They have gathered an offering of money to repair the house of God. And in verse 5, that money is delivered unto the hands of the doers of the work. And they begin to repair the breaches of the house. In verse 5, all All they do is begin to repair the house of the Lord, to shore up the broken places, to put restoration work into the walls and surrounding building. They are now filling in the broken breaches that surround the house of God. All they do is begin to repair the house of the Lord. And mark this down. If you begin to repair the house of God, revival will break out. That's all it takes. You don't have to do everything but do Do what you can. Be a doer of the work. Everyone say, I'm a doer of the work. You are called to do the work of God. Not just myself. Not just the pastor and his family. But every soul here in this room. You are a doer of the work of the kingdom of God. You are called. You are appointed. You are gifted. And you are anointed. You are needed. In the eyes of God. Hallelujah. They began to do the work. Carpenters, builders, masons. They bought timber and hewn stone. And now in verse 8, as they were repairing in the house of God, a discovery was made. Hilkiah the high priest found something. Hilkiah the high priest was the head of all ministry in the Old Testament. And he goes to Shaphan the scribe. And Shaphan was the king's servant. And he tells him, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Little backstory here. About two or three kings back, there was a king named Manasseh who attempted to destroy every copy of the Old Testament. Manasseh killed worshipers of God. Manasseh was an idolater. Manasseh worshipped idols. He tried to stamp out the word of God. But no matter what the current political winds in any country might be, God will survive the fire. His word is tried by fire. We are tried by the fire of the Holy Ghost. God's word shall remain when the political winds change. God's word shall remain when the leadership changes, Manasseh. God's word shall remain after men's opinions have become dust and nonsense. God's word will remain and stand the test of time. Hallelujah. Every copy, we're pretty sure, was destroyed. But there was some man of God, there was some priest who likely gave his life, and he hid the very last copy of the Old Testament, called the Book of the Law here, in the walls of the house of God. Footnote, where do you find the Word of God? In the house of God. 
Where do you find the truth of all ages? Where do you find the holy, heavenly word of God anointed in your life? You find it in the house of God. They found the last copy. And now what do you do? You have discovered truth in the house of God. How do they go about it? Nobody was quite sure what to do, but they knew they had found the truth of all ages. And so they take this word, Shaphan the scribe, he takes it to the king. But before they do all of that, at the bottom of verse 8, Shaphan had to see it for himself. He read it. Everyone who got their hands on a copy of the Bible read it. Hilkiah the high priest, he read it. Shaphan the scribe, what did he do in verse 8? He read that copy of the Bible. And when Shaphan the scribe takes that copy of the Bible to the king, what does the king do? He has Shaphan the scribe read it out loud. He tells the king, I have found a book. This book has been delivered to me from Hilkiah the priest. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law and he rent his own garments he tore his clothes symbolizing that who I used to be I will not be that man any longer his response to the word of God is I want to change I want a brand new identity I need new garments I want to be a new man Now, in my book, I call that repentance. I call that direction change. That's what happens when the word of God is preached. My life will not be the same. You will not be the same. We will not be the same. Because we have been changed by the word of God. Hallelujah. You are no longer the same man, the same lady you once were. Once you have had a true eternal encounter with God. And the king commanded the high priest. He commanded him and all of his servants. He tells them, go inquire of the Lord in verse 13. His response is, we have to hear what God's will is. And God, short story, shows them mercy. And God just tells them, encourages them essentially to follow what they have read in the book of God's word. Kind of like... Back in a little place called Bonnie Bray House, about a century ago, there were some men who came from Missouri and believed that the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and the infilling of the Holy Ghost did not cease with the apostles. Other Christian denominations and churches here in the city of Los Angeles didn't believe that. But what they read in the book, they believed in spite of the culture, in spite of contemporary doctrines. They believed the book instead. I believe we are still people of the book and do you know what happened next in the Azusa Street Revival is they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and church after church was overturned people received the outpouring of God in the modern era revival broke out all across the county all across the state all across the western US why because some people believed what they read in the book hallelujah still works and God's word and God's prophecy came to pass in chapter 23 the king sent they gathered unto him all the elders say all all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem and the entire city all the leadership and the king went up into the house of the Lord the king goes to God's house and all the men of Judah, all the inhabitants, Jerusalem with him and the priests, the prophets everyone, all the people both small and great What did the king do? He read in their ears all the words of the book 
of the covenant. He read to them the original covenant of the word of God. He brought them back to the original Kind of like when we preach Acts 2.38, we're bringing you all the way back to the original, the day of Pentecost, the original plan of salvation, undiluted, unedited, unchanged, the word of God right there for all to see and all to hear with our ears. There it is and there it still works for you and for I. And Josiah begins to reform. Josiah begins to undo false worship. And it works. And in verse 14 of this chapter, I read the fulfillment. He break in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. That is the bookend of the prophecy that God gave. Their men's bones of the false idolatrous priests were burned and placed upon their own false altars, their false groves they had built to worship false gods. And Josiah spent his entire life almost renovating and rebuilding the house of God. Now, if you'll go with me for a few more minutes, let me tell you something very important here. If you have your Bible, Second Chronicles 35 and 20, I read to you in my opening text about the death of King Josiah. 2 Chronicles 35 and 20 also tells about the death of King Josiah. It is what we call a parallel passage. It tells the same story from a different perspective, kind of like the four Gospels, how each Gospel tells the story of Jesus from the perspective of a different apostle, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. All right? This 2 Chronicles chapter 35 talks about Josiah's death. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, his life's work was finished. He had rebuilt the temple. Then Necho, the pharaoh, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Charchemesh, the king of Assyria, by that river Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. All right? Full stop. Two kings, the king of Egypt and the king of Assyria, are fighting by that river Euphrates. And the king of Egypt sent ambassadors, in verse 21, to Josiah, saying, What are you doing? What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. He says, I didn't come to fight you, king of Judah. I am not coming to have conflict or confrontation with you, man of God. I am going to fight the other house, the house of Assyria, with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Do you realize the Pharaoh of Egypt just said God told me to go to war and fight against this man? The Pharaoh of Egypt said that I heard from God and I am following the will of God as a king. I call that revival when a pagan king hears the word of the Lord and obeys it and says yes to heaven above. Something amazing is going on here in this passage. I bet that paused him when he heard the Pharaoh of Egypt. They had been delivered centuries ago from Egyptian slavery. All of their ancestors were slaves in Egypt. And now the forebearers, now the predecessors of those Egyptian kings are saying, We heard from God and God sent us here. I wonder what Josiah thought when he heard that. And the Pharaoh tells him, Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, 
that he destroy thee not. Now he says that God sent him. So what will King Josiah do? He's a good king. He's a good man. He did exactly what God has asked of him. He's repaired the temple, repaired the house of God. He has accomplished the great work that God has called him to. He has stamped out false religion, no small feat in the ancient world. Verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So I called this message Stupid Battles. Here's the reason why I have that colorful title here this morning. It's because that God told him not to fight this battle. God told King Josiah not to go to war against Pharaoh and the king of Assyria. Don't get involved in this mess. Now, yes, you are warriors in the army of God. And yes, there will be times when God tells you, hold the line. Pick up your sword of the spirit and your shield of faith. There will be times when God calls you to war. But there are sometimes, dear Moses, when God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Lord. There are some battles that I am not called to fight. There are some times where God says, leave this one alone. This is in my hands. There are some conflicts that have nothing at all possibly to do with me. This is a war between two other kings, the king of Assyria and the pharaoh of Egypt. And Josiah was not a bad man. Josiah was not one of the evil kings. He was one of the good kings of Judah. He followed the ways and the will of God. This was not some man trying to backslide. He was good. He was righteous. He was holy. He was sensitive to the word of the Lord. So why didn't he go to the house of God and inquire of God right there? You don't see him do that, do you? You don't see him send for the man of God. You don't see him send for the prophet of God. You don't see him go to the altar of God. You don't see him pray. And without a man of God, without going to the house of God, without seeking the altar of God, or finding his place of prayer, of course he messed up. Because I need the man of God. I need the house of God. I need the altar of God. And I need my prayer life. They keep me back from stupid battles that God never called me to enter. They keep me out and away from dangers that God never intends for you to face. Hallelujah. I've done this. We've all done this. We have fought stupid battles between stupid people over stupid issues involving stupid territory. Everyone say, that's stupid. stupid. It sure was, wasn't it? And we know we've done it. We've all been guilty of it. Yes, we have. Now, if I do this, you know, I have seen this too on the internet in comment sections on social media. I'll see some great discussion, and I think the answer to that conflict going on online would be me to offer my opinion. <laughs> Moment of silence for everybody in the house who has done that before. Hallelujah. <laughs> And you've seen something going on before in your life. And you've seen two people at war. And you thought, I can fix this. Have you ever considered God could be moving on you to stay out of it for a reason? There is a protection and a purpose of the Lord in non-intervention. Hallelujah. Sometimes God will call you to intervene, but sometimes he'll say, you know what? Just leave this one alone. Here's why. 
The first thing that happens when Josiah intervenes in verse 23 is the archers shot at King Josiah. Now he disguised himself. He thought nobody would find out, but they did. And when he entered that battle, he got wounded. He got wounded in a battle God didn't call him to. The first thing that transpires is you'll be wounded in a non-called, non-essential battle of God. And that wound eventually he died from. And there are people, I am certain, in this house, and I am people in this house, who have been wounded by stupid battles God did not call me to. And I've been hurt in scenarios and situations of life that I know good and well that God told me to stay away from and stay out of. What I am preaching to you is you don't have to be wounded and die on a battlefield you shouldn't have been in to begin with. You can have peace. You can have revival. You can have healing. You can have defense. You can have protection. But you've got to stay in God's will. And you've got to stay out of the battle. Hallelujah. It's not just about Josiah either. You know, Josiah spent his entire life renovating the house of God, the temple. I have done my theological arithmetic here. After Josiah died... 24 years passed. There were about four, maybe five or six kings in between. But 24 years in total from the death of Josiah before Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes and levels the temple flat, reduced it to rubble. 24 years after he died on the battlefield of a stupid battle, his entire life work was reduced to pebbles and little pieces of brick and wood. It was all pulverized and gone. Why? Because he went into something in his life that God did not call him to. Once more, I implore you and I plead with you, follow and keep to God's highway of defense and protection and you will survive longer in your lifetime. Josiah died at the age of 39. He might have lived until 70. He might have lived 30 more years and that never would have happened to begin with if he just trusted in God. I think you ought to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him and then he will direct your path hallelujah when that happened when king nebuchadnezzar leveled the temple flat he came in and he raided the house of god took away all the gold and the silver he took away the precious things that were hard Fought things of great worth in God's house. You have those two. You have gold tried in the fire. You have precious jewels and pearls of wisdom that God has imparted to you. The abundance of God's provision and mercy. But if I get myself involved in some dumb conflict, if I get myself out of God's work and out of His Word, I could lose everything that I have worked to construct and build, including the great things of precious worth in the eyes of my Maker. I can't afford that, dear Pastor. I 
can't allow that for my children and the generation to come. I want what God has given to you to be passed down just like the covenants of old were passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. I want you to have a legacy and a destiny in God and you can have a legacy that you pass down but for all of that to be possible there are some things you've got to steer clear of and stay away from. Now all the way back to verse 20 in this chapter. Why did God tell him to stay out of this fight? Why didn't God just go with him and say, you know what, I'm going to go with you, King Josiah, and you go whop that Pharaoh over there? Why did God tell him stay out? What was the purpose of God in sending the Pharaoh of Egypt to fight the king of Assyria? Well, look closely at where that battle took place. The location of that battle, the king of Assyria, Charchemish, and the Pharaoh of Egypt, Necho, were fighting at the great river Euphrates. Euphrates is not in Israel. On a map of the Middle East, that river Euphrates is in modern-day Iraq, which at that time was called Babylon. All right, They were fighting in Babylonian territory and had the pharaoh of Egypt took in that key geopolitical, that key strategic location, then that pharaoh of Egypt would have been a buffer between the Babylonians and the Israelites. Then Nebuchadnezzar would not have been able to come against Israel because Pharaoh would have fought him first. You see, God was already putting up a buffer, a wall of protection around his people Israel. They didn't even know about that danger, but God could see it with eagle eyes from heaven's point of view. God is already building walls of protection for you from dangers that I don't even know about. And as long as I let God be God... I'll be okay. I'll be alive. I will be saved. Stand with me. Thank you for preaching with me this morning. I feel like this word was a prophetic word for this church. I didn't tell you this in the intro, but I'll tell you why, my, why the sermon changed now. I had a prophetic dream this morning where God moved upon me very strongly. In the dream, I was preaching this message. God ordained this for you. There are souls here at Apostolic Lighthouse that you are tugged and pulled and tempted by others' plans for you and others' opinions. They want to drag you into their conflagrations and conflicts. They want you to be tied up in their stupid battles. And what God is impressing some souls in here is you can have your prayer requests. You can have your miracle season. But you've got to pull away from others' limits and others' battle points. I can't let my holy mind be going around and around some carousel of conflict of someone else. Today, I get off the hell ride. Today, I say enough. I put down the javelins. I throw down the gauntlets of my life. And I say, I want peace. I want to be pure. I want to have joy. I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength here in Norwalk, California. I want the will and the actions of God for my household, for my spouse, for my children, for my family, for the next generation to come. And that means I give this over to God. In closing, 
I feel to say this final verse, Psalm 118 and verse 17. I want you all to learn this verse until you can quote it. It says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Please read this verse with me out loud right now. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. For all of that to transpire, i got to have the way of the Lord and the will of the Lord. Today, it is God's will for you to live and not just live, but have a testimony on the other side. He wants you to have a declaration of the works of God. You're going to have the word about how God defended you and kept you safe. All across this room, these altars are open. I'm inviting you to come and have prayer. I want you to lay down your battle lines of anything you don't feel called to of God. Lay down some old fights. Lay down some old conflicts and conflagrations. Whatever they are, I'm asking you all, if you will, if you're comfortable, to leave the chairs and begin to make your way. But wherever you are, find a place of prayer here in the house. Find a place to call out on God all across this room. I want you to believe. I want you to give God your all. God, I release the things that you didn't call me to. I release the battle calls of generals that were not appointed by you. I release myself from the drawings to stupid wars that are only taking up my time and absorbing my life and my ministry. I think the whole church is called to ministry. Sometimes it's in the pulpit, sometimes soul winning, sometimes singing, sometimes Bible teaching and witnessing. You all have a ministry, but what is that ministry of God in you today? You are necessary, you are anointed, and you are called to work. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast, and may God bless you.